Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the world of Percy Jackson. In this episode we'll read chapters 3 and 4. But before we go on to the recap of the last episode, I do want to apologize for uploading late because I will be very busy these days and I may have a bit more difficulty uploading on time, but I will try my best to upload on time and if I don't, I do immensely apologize for that and I hope you guys can forgive me for that. And now we'll move on to the recap of chapters 1 and 2. Percy and and Charles Beckendorf had gone onto the Princess Andromeda and tried to sabotage the ship. Uh, Sadly, Percy Percy and Beckendorf got caught, but but luckily Beckendorf was cleverly able to uh, ignite the ship and blow it up, and Beckendorf Beckendorf, uh, was not able to escape the ship, and Percy was able to escape. And so Percy landed in the uh, landed uh, in the kingdom of Poseidon, where Tyson woke him up, and Percy was able to meet uh, see Poseidon's palace for the first time. But it wasn't such a happy place because Poseidon's palace was under attack by the Titan Oceanus, and before and Percy wanted to help, but Poseidon said, "You got to go back to your camp and." help uh, your uh, your camp campmates and so percy agreed and he was sent back onto the beach so now we'll read chapter three i get a sneak peek peek at my death if you want to be popular at camp half-blood don't come back from a mission with bad news word of my arrival spread as soon as i walked out of the ocean our beach is on the north shore of long island and it's enchanted so most people can't even see it People don't just appear on the beach unless they're demigods or gods or really, really lost pizza delivery guys. It's happened, but there's, that's another story. Anyway, that afternoon, the lookout was on duty was Connor Stoll from the Hermes cabin. When he spotted me, he got so excited he fell out of his tree. Then he blew the conch horn to signal the camp and ran to greet me. Connor had a crooked smile that matched his crooked sense of humor. He's a pretty nice guy, but you should always keep one hand on your wallet when he's around and do not... Under any circumstances, give him access to shaving cream unless you want to find your sleeping bag full of it. He's got curly brown hair and is a little shorter than his brother Travis, which is the only way I can tell them apart. They're both so unlike my old enemy Luke, it's hard to believe they're all sons of Hermes. Percy! He yelled. What happened? Where's Beckendorf? Then he saw my expression and his smile melted. Oh no, poor Selina. Holy Zeus, when she finds out. Together, we climbed the sand dunes. A few hundred yards away, people were already streaming towards us. Smiling and excited. Percy's back, they were probably thinking. He saved the day. Maybe he brought us souvenirs. I stopped at the dining pavilion and waited for them. No sense rushing down there to tell them what a loser I was. I gazed across the valley and tried to remember how Camp Half-Blood looked for the first time I ever saw it. It seemed like a bajillion years ago. From the dining pavilion, you could see pretty much everything. Hills ring the valley. On the tallest half-blood hill, Thalia's pine tree stood with the golden fleece hanging from its branches, magically protecting the camp from its enemies. The guard dragon, Peleus, was so big now he could see him from here, curled around the tree trunk, sending up smoke signals as he snored. To my right spread the woods. To my left, the canoe lake glittered and the climbing wall glowed from the lava pouring down its side. Twelve cabins, one for each Olympian god, made a horseshoe pattern around the commons area. Farther south were the strawberry fields, the armory, and the four-story big house with its sky-blue paint job and its bronze eagle weather vane. 
In some ways, the camp hadn't changed, but you couldn't see the war by looking at the buildings or the fields. You could see it in the faces of the demigods and satyrs and naiads coming up the hill. There weren't as many at camp as four summers ago. Some had left and never came back and come back. Some had died fighting. Others, we tried not to talk about them, had gone over to the enemy. The ones who were still here were battle-hardened and weary. There was so little laughter at camp these days. Even the Hermes cabin didn't play so many pranks. It's hard to enjoy practical jokes when your whole life feels like one. Chiron galloped to the pavilion first, which was easy for him since he's a white stallion from the waist down. His beard had grown wilder over the summer. He wore a green t-shirt that said, My other car is a centaur, and a bow slung over his back. Percy, he said. Thank the gods, but where? Ambeth ran in right behind him, and I admit my heart did a little relay race in my chest when I saw her. It's not that she tried to look good. We've been doing so many combat missions lately, she hardly brushed her curly blonde hair anymore. And she didn't care what clothes she was wearing. Usually the same old orange camp t-shirt and our jeans. Once in a while, her bronze armor. Her eyes were stormy gray. Most of the time, we couldn't get through a conversation without trying to strangle each other. Still, just seeing her made me feel fuzzy in the head. Last summer, before Luke had tried to turn into Kronos and everything went sour, there had been a few times when I thought maybe, well, we might get past the strangle each other face. What happened? She grabbed my arm. Is Luke? The ship blew up, I said. He wasn't destroyed. I don't know where. Selena Beauregard pushed through the crowd. Her hair wasn't combed and she wasn't even wearing makeup, which wasn't like her. Where's Charlie? She demanded, looking around like she, he might be hiding. I glanced at Chiron helplessly. The old centaur cleared his throat. Selena, my dear, l- let's talk about this at the big house. No, she muttered. No, no. She t- started to cry and the rest of us stood around, too stunned to speak. We'd already lost so many people over the summer, but this was the worst. With Beckendorf gone, it felt like someone had stolen the anchor for the entire camp. Finally, Clarice from the Ares cabin came forward. She put her arm around Selina, dead one of the strangest friendships ever, a daughter of the war god and the daughter of the love goddess. But ever since Selina had given Clarice advice last summer about her first boyfriend, Clarice had decided she was Selina's personal bodyguard. Clarice was dressed in her blood-red combat armor, her brown hair tucked into a bandana. She was as big and beefy as a rugby player, with a permanent scowl on her face, but she spoke gently to Selina. Come on, girl. She said, let's get to the big house. I'll make you some hot chocolate. Everyone turned and wandered off in twos and threes, heading back to the cabins. Nobody was excited to see me now. Nobody wanted to hear about the blown-up ship. Only Annabeth and Chiron stayed behind. Annabeth wiped a tear from her cheek. I'm glad you're not dead, seaweed brain. Thanks, I said. Me too. Chiron put a hand on my shoulder. I'm sure you did everything you could, Percy. Will you tell us what happened? I didn't want to go through it again, but I told him the story, including the dream of the Titans. I left out the detail about Nico. Nico had made me promise not to tell anybody about his plan until I made up my mind. And the plan was so scary, I didn't mind keeping it a secret. Chiron gazed down at the valley. We must call a war council immediately to discuss this this spy and other matters. Poseidon mentioned another threat, I said. Something even bigger than the Princess Andromeda. I thought it might be that challenge the Titan had mentioned in my dream. 
Chiron and Annabeth exchanged looks, like they knew something I didn't. I hated when they did that. We will discuss that also, Chiron promised. One more thing. I took a deep breath. When I talked to my father, he said to tell you it's time. I need to know the full prophecy. Chiron's shoulders sagged, but he didn't look surprised. I've dreaded this day. Very well, Annabeth. We We will show Percy the truth. All of it. Let's go to the attic. I've been to the big house attic three times before, which is three times more than I wanted to. A ladder led up from the top of the staircase. I wondered how Chiron was going to get up there, being half horse and all, but he didn't try. You know where it is, he told Annabeth. Bring it down, please. Annabeth nodded. Come on, Percy. The sun was setting outside, so the attic was even darker and creepier than usual. Old hero trophies were stacked everywhere. Dented shields, pickled heads in jars from various monsters, a pair of fuzzy dice on a bronze plaque that read stolen from Cryosaur's Honda Civic by Gus, son of Hermes, 1988. I picked up a curved bronze sword so badly it bent it looked like the letter M. I could still see green stains on the metal from the magic po- magical poison that used to cover it. The tag was dated last summer. It read, Scimitar of Compe, destroyed in the Battle of the Labyrinth. You remember Briars throwing those boulders? I asked. Emma gave me a grudging smile. And Grover causing a panic? We locked eyes. I thought of a different time last summer, under Mount St. Helens, when Annabeth thought I was going to die and she kissed me. She cleared her throat and looked away. Prophecy. Right, I put down the scimitar. Prophecy. We walked over to the window. On a three-legged stool sat the oracle. A shriveled female mummy in a tie-dye dress. Tufts of black hair clung to her skull. Glassy eyes stared out of her leathery face. Just looking at her made my skin crawl. If you wanted to leave camp during the summer, it used to be you had to come up here to get a quest. This summer, that rule had been tossed. Campers left all the time on combat missions. We had no choice if we wanted to stop Kronos. Still... I remembered too well the strange green mist, the spirit of the oracle, that lived inside the mummy. She looked lifeless now, but whenever she spoke a prophecy, she moved. Sometimes fog gushed out of her mouth and created strange shapes. Once, she even left the attic and taken a little zombie stroll in the woods to deliver a message. Wasn't sure what she'd do for the great prophecy. I half expected her to start tap tap dancing or something. But she was just there like she was dead, which she was. I never understood this, I whispered. What? Annabeth asked. Why it's a mummy? Percy, she didn't used to be a mummy. For thousands of years, the spirit of the oracle lived inside a beautiful maiden. The spirit would be passed on from generation to generation. Chiron told me she was like that 50 years ago. Annabeth pointed at the mummy, but she was the last. What happened? Annabeth started to say something, then apparently changed her mind. Let's just do our job and get out of here. I looked nervously at the oracle's withered face. So, what now? Ambeth approached the mummy and held out her palms. Oh, oracle, the time is at for a hand. I ask for the great prophecy. I braced myself, but the mummy didn't move. Instead, Annabeth approached and unclasped one of its necklaces. I never paid attention to the, paid too much attention to its jewelry because before. I figured it was just hippie love beads and stuff. When Annabeth turned toward me, she was holding a leather pouch, like a Native American medicine pouch, on a cord braided with feathers. 
She opened the bag and took out a roll of parchment no bigger than her pinky. No way, I said. You mean all these years I've been asking about this stupid prophecy and it's been right there around her neck? The time wasn't right, Abbott said. Believe me, Percy, I read this when I was 10 years old and I still have nightmares about it. Great, I said. Can I read it now? Downstairs at the war council, Abbott said. Not in front of, you know. I looked at the glassy eyes of the oracle and I decided not to argue. We headed downstairs to join the others. I didn't know it then, but it would be the last time I ever visited the attic. The senior councils had gathered around the ping pong table. Don't ask me why, but the rec room had become the camp's informal, informal headquarters for war councils. When Annabeth, Chiron, and I came in, though it looked more like a shouting match. Clarice was still in full battle gear. Her electric spear was strapped to her back. Actually, her second electric spear since I'd broken the first one. She called the spear Mamer. Behind her back, everyone else called it Lamer. She had her boar-shaped helmet under one arm and a knife at her belt. She was in the midst of yelling at Michael Yu, the new head counselor for Apollo, which looked kind of funny since Clarice was a foot taller. Michael had taken over the Apollo cabin after Lee Fletcher died in battle last summer. Michael stood four foot six with another two feet of attitude. He reminded me of a ferret, with a pointy nose and scrunched up features. Either because he scowled to him so much, or because he spent too much time looking down at the shaft of an arrow. It's our loot, he yelled, standing out on his tiptoes so he, he could get in Clarice's face. If you don't like it, you can quiss my, kiss my quiver. Around the table, people were trying not to laugh. The Stoll brothers, Pollux from the Dionysus cabin, Katie Gardner from D- Demeter, even Jake Mason, the hastily appointed new counselor from Hephaestus, managed a faint smile. Only Selena Beauregard didn't pay any attention. She sat beside Clarice and stared vacantly at the ping pong net. Her eyes were red and puffy. A cup of hot chocolate sat untouched in front of her. It seemed unfair that she had to be here. I couldn't believe Clarissa Michael standing over her, arguing about something as stupid as loot when she just lost Beckendorf. Stop it! I yelled. What are you guys doing? Clarice glowered at me. Tell Michael not to be a selfish jerk. Oh, that's perfect, coming from you, Michael said. The only reason I'm here is to support Selena. Clarice shouted, otherwise I'd be back in my cabin. What are you talking about? I demanded. Pollux cleared his throat. Clarice has refused to speak to any of us until her, um, issue is resolved. She hasn't spoken for three days. It's been wonderful, Travis Stoll said wistfully. What issue? I asked. Clarice turned to Chiron. You're in charge, right? Does my cabin get what we want or not? Chiron shuffled his hooves. My dear, as I've already explained, Michael is correct. Apollo's cabin has the best claim. Besides, we have more important matters. Sure, Clarice snapped. Always more important matters than what Ares needs. We're just supposed to show up and fight when you need us and not complain. That would be nice, Connor Stoltz muttered. Clarice griped her knife, gripped her knife. Maybe I should ask Mr. D. As you know, Chiron interrupted, his tone slightly angry now. Angry now. Our director Dionysus is busy with the war. He can't be bothered with this. I see, Clarice said. And the senior counselors, are any of you going to side with me? Nobody was smiling now. None of them met Clarice's eyes. Fine, Clarice turned to Selena. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to get into this when you've just lost. Anyway, I apologize to you, nobody else. Selena didn't seem to register her words. Clarice threw her knife on the ping pong table. 
All of you can fight this war without Ares. Until I get satisfaction, no one in my cabinet is lifting a finger to help. Have fun dying. The counselors were all too stunned to say anything as Clarice stormed out of the room. Finally, Michael Yu said, Good riddance. Are you kidding? Katie Gardner protest protested. This is a disaster. She can't be serious, Travis said. Can't she? Chiron said, sighed. <sighs> Her pride as all has been wounded. She'll calm down eventually. But he didn't sound convinced. I wanted to ask what the heck Clarice was so mad about, but I, I looked at Annabeth and she mouthed the words, I'll tell you later. Now, Chiron continued, if you please, counselors, Percy has brought something I think you should hear. Percy? <clears throat> the Great Prophecy. Annabeth handed me the parchment. It felt dry and old, and my fingers fumbled with the string, and I uncurled the paper, trying not to rip it, and began to read. A half-blood of the eldest dogs. Uh... Percy? Annabeth's interrupted. <clears throat> That's gods, not dogs. Oh, right. I said, being dyslexic is one mark of a demigod, but sometimes I really hate it. The more nervous I am, the worse my reading gets. A half-blood of the eldest gods shall reach sixteen against all odds. I hesitated, staring at the next lines. A cold feeling started in my fingers as if the paper was freezing. And see the world in endless sleep. The hero's soul, cursed blade, shall reap. Suddenly, Riptide seemed heavier in my pocket. A cursed blade? Chiron once told me Riptide had brought many people sorrow. Was it possible my own sword could get me killed? And how could the world fall into endless sleep, unless that meant death? Percy? Chiron urged. Read the rest. My mouth felt like it was full of sand, but I spoke the last two lines. A single choice shall, shall end his days. Olympus to per, pursue, preserve, Ambit said gently, means to save. Oh, I know what it means, I grumbled. Olympus to preserve or raise. The room was silent. Finally, Connor Stoll said, raise is good, isn't it? Not raise, Selena said. Her voice was hollow, but I started—I was startled to hear her speak at all. R-A-Z-E means destroy. Obliterate, Annabeth said. Annihilate, turn to rubble. Got it. My heart felt like lead. Thanks. Everybody was looking at me, with concern, or pity, or maybe even a little fear. Chiron closed his eyes as if he were saying a prayer. In horse form, his head almost brushed the lights in the rec room. You see now, Percy, why we thought best not to tell you the whole prophecy. You've had enough on your shoulders. Without realizing I was going to die in the end anyway... I said, yeah, I get it. Chiron gazed at me sadly. The guy was 3,000 years old. He's seen hundreds of heroes die. He might not like it, but he was used to it. He probably knew better than to try to reassure me. Percy, Ambeth said, you know prophecies always have double meanings. It might not literally mean you die. Sure, I said, a single choice that shall end his days. That has tons of meanings, right? Maybe we can stop it. Jake Mason offered. The hero's soul, Cursed Blade, shall reap. Maybe we could find this Cursed Blade and destroy it. Sounds like Cronus's scythe, right? I hadn't thought about that. But it didn't matter if the Cursed Blade was Riptide or Cronus's scythe. Either way, I doubted we could stop the prophecy. The blade was supposed to reap my soul. As a general rule, I prefer not to have my soul reaped. 
Perhaps we should let Percy think about these lines, Chiron said. He needs time. No. I folded up the prophecy and shoved it into my pocket. I felt defined and angry, though I wasn't sure who I was angry with. I don't need time. If I die, I die. I can't worry about that, right? Ambit's hands were shaking a little. She wouldn't meet my eyes. Let's move on, I said. We've got other problems. We've got a spy. Michael, you scowled. A spy? I told him what had happened on the Princess Andromeda. How Kronos had known we were coming. How he'd shown me the silver scythe pen and he used to communicate with someone at camp. Selina started to cry again and Annabeth put an arm around her shoulders. Well, Connor Stoll said uncomfortably, we suspected there might be a spy for years. Somebody kept passing information to Luke, like the location of the Golden Fleece a couple of years ago. It must be somebody who knew him well. Maybe. Subconsciously, he glanced at Annabeth. She knew Luke better than anyone, of course, but Connor looked away quickly. Um, I mean, it could be anybody. Yes. Katie Gardner frowned at the Stoll brothers. She disliked them ever since they decorated the, the grass roof of the Demeter cabin with chocolate Easter bunnies. Like one of Luke's siblings. Travis and Connor both started arguing with her. Stop! Selena banged the table so hard her hot chocolate spilled. Charlie's dead and... You're, argue, you're all arguing like little kids. She put her head down and began to sob. Hot chocolate trickled off the ping pong table. Everyone, Everybody looked ashamed. She's right, Pollock said at last. Ac- accusing each other doesn't help. We need to keep our eyes open for a silver necklace with a scythe charm. If Kronos had one, the spy, prob- the spy probably does too. Michael, you grunted. We need to find the spy before we plan our next operation. Blowing up the Princess Andromeda won't stop Kronos forever. No, indeed, Chiron said. In fact, his next assault is already on the way. I scowled. You mean the bigger threat Poseidon mentioned? He and Annabeth looked at each other like, it's time. Did I mention I hate it when they do that? Percy, Chiron said. We didn't want to tell you until you returned to camp. You needed a break with your mortal friends. Annabeth blushed. It dawned on me that she knew I'd been hanging out with Rachel and I felt guilty. Then I felt angry that I felt guilty. I was allowed to have friends outside camp, right? It wasn't like... Tell me what's happened, I said. Chiron picked up a bronze goblet from the snack table. He tossed water onto the hot plate where we usually melted nacho cheese. Steam billowed up, making a rainbow in the fluorescent lights. Chiron fished a golden drachma out of his pouch and tossed it through the mist and muttered, Oh, Iris, goddess of the rainbow, show us the threat. The mist shimmered. I saw the familiar image of a smoldering volcano, Mount St. Helens. As I watched, the side of the mountain exploded. Fire, ash, and lava rolled out. A newscaster's voice was saying, Even larger than last year's eruption, geologists warned that the mountain may not be done. I knew all about last year's eruption. I'd caused it. But this explosion was much worse. The mountain tore itself apart. Collapsing inward, an enormous form rose out of the smoke and lava like it was immersing from a manhole. I hoped the mist would keep the humans from seeing it clearly because what I saw would have caused panic and riots across the entire United States. The giant was bigger than anything I'd ever encountered. Even my demigod eyes couldn't make out its exact form through the ash and fire. But it was vaguely humanoid, and so huge, it could have used the Chrysler building as a baseball hat. The mountain shook with a horrible rumbling, as if the monsters were laughing. It's him, I said. Typhon. 
I was seriously hoping Chiron would say something like good, like, no, that's our huge friend Leroy. He's going to help us. But no such luck. He simply nodded. The most horrible monster of all. The biggest single threat the gods ever faced. He's been freed from under the mountain at last, but this scene is from two days ago. Here is what is happening today. Chiron waved his hand and the image changed. I saw a bank of storm clouds rolling across the Midwest Plains. Lightning flickered. Lines of tornadoes destroyed everything in their path, ripping up houses and trailers, tossing cars around like matchbox toys. Monumental floods, an announcer was saying. Five states declared disaster areas as the freak storm system sweeps east, continuing its path of destruction. The camera zoomed in on a column of storm bearing down on some Midwest city. I couldn't tell which one. Inside the storm, I could see the giant, just small glimpses of his true form. A smoky arm, a dark clawed hand the size of a city block. His angry roar rolled across the plains like a nuclear blast. Other smaller forms darted through the clouds, circling the monster. I saw flashes of light, and I realized the giant was trying to swat them. I squinted and thought I saw a golden chariot flying into the blackness. Then some kind of huge bird, a monstrous owl, dived in to attack the giant. Are are those the gods? I said. Yes, Percy, Chiron said. They've been fighting him for days now, trying to slow him down. But Typhon is marching forward toward New York, toward Olympus. I let that sink in. How long until he gets here? Unless the gods can stop him? Perhaps five days. Most Olympians are there, except your father, who has a war of his own to fight. But then who's guarding Olympus? Connor still shook his head. If Typhon gets to New York, it won't matter who's guarding Olympus. I thought about Cronus' words on the ship. I would love to see the terror in your eyes when you realize how I will destroy Olympus. Was this what he was talking about? An attack by Typhon? It was sure, but... It was sure terrifying enough, but Cronus was always fooling us, misdirecting our attention. This seemed too obvious for him, and in my dream, the Golden Titan had talked about several more challenges to come, as if Typhon were only the first. It's a trick, I said. We have to warn the gods. Something else is going to happen. Chiron looked at me gravely. Something worse than Typhon? I hope not. We have to defend Olympus, I insisted. Cronus is another attack planned. He did, Travis Stoll reminded me, but you sunk his ship. Everyone was looking at me. They wanted some good news. They wanted to believe that at least I'd given them a little bit of hope. I glanced at Annabeth. I could tell we were thinking the same thing. What if the Princess Andromeda was a ploy? What if Cronus let us blow up the sh- that, that ship so we'd lower our guard? But I wasn't going to say any of that in front of Selena. Her boyfriend had sacrificed himself for that mission. Maybe you're right, I said, though I didn't believe it. I tried to imagine how things could get much worse. The gods were in the Midwest fighting a huge monster that almost defeated them once before. Poseidon was under siege and losing a war against the sea titan Oceanus. Kronos was still out there somewhere. Olympus was virtually undefended. The demigods of Camp Athlon were on our own with a spy in our midst. Oh, and according to the ancient prophecy, I was going to die when I turned 16, which happened to be in five days. The exact same time Typhon was supposed to hit New York. Almost forgot that. Well, Chiron said, I think that's enough for one night. He waved his hand and the steam dissipated. The stormy battle of Typhon and the gods disappeared. That's an understatement, I muttered, and the war council adjourned. And that is the end of chapter three. 
man, that was an interesting chapter because Percy is in a double catastrophe because apparently, according to the prophecy, he's going to die when he turns 16. And Typhon is reaching New York in the end on the same day that is bir- on the same day of his birthday, which doesn't seem like a very happy birthday to me. But I'm sure that Percy can survive this, and hopefully he will survive this along with the camp, and the gods emerge victorious again against the Titans. So let's hope that, and we will find out in Chapter 4 what Percy and the camp plans to do, and possibly if they can contact the gods and tell them their plan as well. And I do I want to apologize if I mispronounce every, anything again. I am, uh, I do apologize for that. And I do hope that I can, uh, that you guys can help me learn on how to uh, pronounce if I'm getting them wrong. But other than that, after this break, we'll read chapter four. We burn a metal shroud and see what happens to Percy and the campers. And we are back from the ads and now we'll read chapter four. We burn a metal shroud. I dreamed Rachel Elizabeth Dare was throwing darts at my picture. She was standing in her room. Okay, back up. I have to explain that Rachel doesn't have a room. She's the top floor of her family's mansion, which is a renovated brownstone in Brooklyn. Her room is a huge loft with industrial lighting and floor-to-ceiling windows. It's about twice as big as my mom's apartment. Some alt-rock was blaring from her paint-covered Bose docking system. As far as I could tell, Rachel's only rule about music was that no two songs on her iPod could sound the same, and they all had to be strange. She wore a kimono, and her hair was frizzy like she'd been sleeping. Her bed was messed up, sheets hung over a bunch of artist easels. Dirty clothes and old energy bar wrappers were strewn around the floor, but when you've got a room that big, the mess doesn't look so bad. Out the windows, you could see the entire nighttime skyline of Manhattan. The picture she was attacking was a painting of me standing over the giant antis. Rachel had painted it a couple of months ago. My expression in the picture was fierce, disturbing even, so it was hard to tell if I was the good guy or the bad guy. But Rachel said I looked just like that after the battle. Demigods, Rachel muttered as she threw another dart at the canvas. Their stupid quests. Most of the darts bounced off, but a few stuck. One hung on my chin like a goatee. Someone pounded on her bedroom door. Rachel! A man shouted. What in the world are you doing? Turn off that! Rachel scooped up her remote control and shut off the music. Come in! Her dad walked in, scowling and blinking from the light. He had rust-colored hair a little darker than Rachel's. He was smushed on one side like he lost a fight with his pillow. His blue silk pajamas had WD monogrammed on the pocket. Seriously, who has monogrammed pajamas? What is going on? He demanded. It's three in the morning. Couldn't sleep, Rachel said. On the painting, a dart fell off my face. Rachel hid the rest behind her back, but Mr. Dan noticed. So, I take it your friend isn't coming to St. Thomas? That's what Mr. Dare called me. Never Percy, just your friend or young man if he was talking to me, which he rarely did. Rachel knit her eyebrows. I don't know. <clears throat> we leave in the morning, her dad said. If he hasn't made up his mind yet, he's probably not coming, Rachel said miserably. Happy? Mr. Dare put his hands behind his back. He paced the room with a stern expression. I imagine he did that in the boardroom of his land development company and made his employees nervous. Are you still having bad dreams, he asked. Headaches? Rachel threw her darts on the floor. 
should have never told you about that. I'm your father, he said. I'm worried about you. Worried about the family's reputation, Rachel muttered. Her father didn't react, maybe because he'd heard that comment before, or maybe because it was true. We could call, we could call Dr. Arkwright, he suggested. He helped you get through the death of your hamster. I was six then, she said. And no, Dad, I don't need a therapist. I just... She shook her head helplessly. Her father stopped in front of the windows. He gazed at the New York skyline as if he owned it, which wasn't true. He only owned part of it. It will be good for you to get away, he decided. You've had some unhealthy influences. I'm not going to Clarion Ladies Academy, Rachel said, and my friends are none of your business. Mr. Dare smiled, but it wasn't a warm smile. It was more like someday you'll realize, realize how silly you sound. Try to get some sleep, he urged. We'll be at the beach by tomorrow night. It'll be fun. Fun, Rachel repeated. Lots of fun. Her father exited the room. He left the door behind him. Rachel stared at the portrait of me. Then she walked to the easel next to it, which, it was, co which was covered in a sheet. I hope they're dreams, she said. She uncovered the easel. On it was a, on it was a hastily sketched charcoal. But Rachel was a good artist. The picture was definitely Luke as a young boy. He was about nine years old with a wide grin and no scar on his face. I had no idea how Rachel could have known what he looked like back then. But the portrait was so good, I had a feeling she wasn't guessing. From what I knew about Luke's life, which wasn't much, the picture showed him just before he found out he, he, found out he was a half-blood and had run away from home. Rachel stared at the portrait, then she uncovered the next easel. This picture was even more disturbing. It showed the Empire State Building with lightning all around it. In the distance, a dark storm was brewing, with a huge brewing hand coming out of the clouds. At the base of the building, a crowd had gathered, but it wasn't a normal crowd of tourists and pedestrians. I saw spears, javelins, and banners, the trappings of an army. Percy, Rachel muttered as if she, was, she knew I was listening. What is going on? The dream faded, and the last thing I remember was wishing I could answer her question. The next morning, I wanted to call her, but there were no phones at camp. Dionysus and Chiron didn't need a landline. They just called Olympus with an iris message whenever they needed something. And when demigods use cell phones, the signals agitate every monster within a hundred miles. It's like sending up a flare. Here I am, please arrange my face, rearrange my face. Even within the safe borders of camp, that's not the kind of advertising we wanted to do. Most demigods, except for Annabeth and a few others, don't even own cell phones. And I definitely couldn't tell Annabeth, Hey, let me borrow your phone so I can call Rachel. To make the call, I would have had to leave camp and walk several miles to the nearest convenience store. Even if Chiron, even if Chiron let me go, by the time I got there, Rachel would have been on the plane to St. Thomas. I ate a depressing breakfast by myself at the Poseidon table. I kept staring at the fissure in the marble floor where two years ago, Nico had banished a bunch of bloodthirsty skeletons to the underworld. The memory didn't exactly improve my appetite. After breakfast, Annabeth and I walked down to the inspect the cabins. Actually, it was Annabeth's turn for inspection. My morning chore was to sort through reports for Chiron, but since we both hated our jobs, we decided to do them together so it wouldn't be so heinous. We started the Poseidon cabin, which was basically me. I'd made my bunk bed that morning, well, sort of, and straightened the minotaur horn on the wall, so I gave myself a 4 out of 5. Annabeth made a face. You're being generous. She used the end of her pencil to pick up an old pairing of running shorts. I snatched them away. Hey, don't give me a break. I don't have Tyson cleaning up after me this summer. Three out of five. 
Ambit said. I knew better than to argue, so we moved along. I tried to skim through Chiron's stack of reports as we walked. There were messages from demigods, nature spirits, and satyrs all around the country, writing about the latest monster activity. They're pretty depressing, and my ADHD did not like concentrating on depressing stuff. Little battles were raging everywhere. Camp recruitments were down to zero. Satyrs were having trouble finding new demigods and bringing them to Half-Blood Hill because so many monsters were roaming the country. Our friend, Thalia, who led the Hunters of Artemis, hadn't been heard from in months. And if Artemis knew what had happened to them, she wasn't sharing information. We visited the Aphrodite cabin, which of course got a 5 out of 5. The beds were perfectly made, the clothes in every, everyone's footlockers were color-coordinated, fresh flowers bloomed on the windowsills. I wanted to dock a point because the whole place reeked of designer perfume, but Annabeth ignored me. Great job as usual, usual, Selena, Annabeth said. Selena nodded listlessly. The wall behind her bed was decorated with pictures of Beckendorf. She sat on her bunk with a box of chocolates on her lap, and I remembered that her dad owned a chocolate store in the village which is how he had caught the attention of Aphrodite. You want a bonbon? Selena asked. My dad sent them. He thought thought they might cheer me up. Are they any good? I asked. She shook her head. They taste like cardboard. I didn't have anything against cardboard, so I tried one. Ambit passed. We promised to see Selena later and kept going. As we crossed the commons room, a fight broke out between the Ares and Apollo cabins. Some Apollo cabins and campers armed with firebombs flew over the Ares cabin in a chariot pulled by two pegasi. I'd never seen the chariot before. It would look like a pretty sweet ride. Soon, the roof of the Ares cabin was burning, and naiads from the canoe lake had rushed over to blow water on it. Then the Ares campers called down a curse, and all the Apollo kids' arrows turned to rubber. The Apollo kids kept shooting at the arrows kids, Ares kids, but the arrows bounced off. Two archers ran by, chased by an angry Ares kid who was yelling in poetry. Curse me, eh? I'll make you pay. I don't want to rhyme all day. Ambit sighed. Not that again. Last time Apollo cursed a cabin, it took a week for the rhyming couplets to wear off. I shuddered. Apollo was god of poetry as well as archery, and I'd heard him recite in person. I'd almost rather get shot by an arrow. What are they fighting about anyway? I asked. Abbott ignored me while she scribbled on her inspection scroll, scroll, giving both cabins a one out of five. I found myself staring at her, which was stupid since I'd seen her a billion times. She and I were about the same height this summer, which was a relief. Still, she seemed so much more mature. It was kind of intimidating. I mean, sure, she'd always been cute, but she was trying to be seriously beautiful. Finally, she said. That flying chariot. What? You asked what they were fighting about? Oh, oh, right. They captured in a raid in Philadelphia last week. Some of Luke's demigods were there with that flying chariot. The Apollo cabin seized it during the battle, but the Ares cabin led the raid. So they've been fighting about who who gets it ever since. We ducked as Michael used chariot dive-bombed an Ares camper. The Ares camper tried to stab him and cuss him out in rhythming couplets. Rhyming couplets. He was pretty creative about rhyming those cuss words. We're fighting for our lives, I said, and they're bickering about some stupid chariot. They'll get over it, Annabeth said. Clarice will come to her senses. I wasn't so sure. That didn't sound like the Clarice I knew. I scanned more reports, and we inspected a few more cabins. Demeter got a four, Hephaestus got a three, and probably should have gotten lower, but with Beckendorf being gone and all, we cut them some slack. 
Hermes got it too, which was no surprise. All campers who didn't know their godly parentage were shoved into the Hermes cabin. Since the gods were kind of forgetful, that cabin was, all, were, was always overcrowded. Finally, we got to Athena's cabin, which was orderly and clean as usual. Books were strained on the shelves. The armor was polished. Battle maps and blueprints decorated the walls. Only Annabeth's bunk was messy. It was covered in papers, and her silver laptop was still running. Vlacus. Annabeth muttered, which was basically calling herself an idiot in Greek. Her second-in-command, Malcolm, suppressed a smile. Yeah, um, we cleaned everything else. Didn't know if it was safe to move your notes. That was probably smart. Annabeth had a bronze knife that she reserved just for monsters and people who messed with her stuff. Malcolm grinned at me. We'll wait outside while you finish inspection. The Athena campers filed out the door while Athena, uh, Annabeth cleaned up her bunk. I shuffled uneasily and pretended to go th- through some more reports. Technically, even on inspection, it was against camp rules for two campers to be, like, alone in a cabin. That rule had come up a lot when Selena and Beckendorf started dating. And I know some of you might be thinking, aren't all demigods related on the godly side and doesn't that make dating gross? But the thing is, the godly side of your family doesn't count, genetically speaking, since gods don't have DNA. A demigod would never think about dating someone who had the same godly parent. Like, two kids from Athena cabin? No way. But a daughter of Aphrodite and a son of Hephaestus? They're not related, so no, it's no problem. Anyway, for some strange reason, I was thinking about this as I watched Annabeth straighten up. She closed her laptop, which had been given to her as a gift from the inventor Daedalus last summer. I cleared my throat. So, get any good info from that thing? Too much, she said. Daedalus had so many ideas, I could spend 50 years just trying to figure them all out. Yeah, I muttered. That would be fun. She shuffled her papers, mostly drawings of buildings and a bunch of handwritten notes. I knew she wanted to be an architect someday, but I learned the hard way not to ask what she was working on. She'd start talking about angles and load-bearing joints until my eyes glazed over. You know, she brushed her hair behind her ear like she does when she's nervous. This whole thing with Beckendorf and Selena kind of makes you think about what's important, about losing people who are important. I nodded. My brain started seizing on little random details, like the fact she was still wearing those silver owl earrings from her dad, who was this brainiac military history professor in San Francisco. Um, yeah, I stammered. Like, is everything cool with your family? Okay, really stupid question, but hey, I was nervous. Emmett looked disappointed, but she nodded. My dad wanted to take me to Greece this year, summer. She said wistfully. I've always wanted to see the Parthenon, I remembered. She managed to smile. Yeah, that's okay. There'll be other summers, right? As soon as I said it, I realized it was a boneheaded comment. I was facing the end of my days. Within a week, Olympus might fall. If the age of the gods really did end, the world as we would, as we knew it would dissolve into chaos. Demigods would be hunted to extinction. There'd be no more summers for us. Amber stared at her inspection scroll. Three out of five, she muttered, for a sloppy head counselor. Come on, let's finish your reports and get back to Chiron. On the way to the, to the big house, we read the last report, which was handwritten on a maple leaf from a satyr in Canada. If possible, the note made me feel even worse. Dear Grover, I read aloud, Wood, Woods outside Toronto attacked by giant evil badger. Try to do as you suggested and summon power of pan. No effect. Many naiads trees, trees destroyed. Retreating to Ottawa. Please advise. Where are you? Gleason Hedge, protector. Ambit grimaced. You haven't heard anything from him? Even with your empathy link? 
I shook my head dejectedly. Ever since last summer when the god Pan had died, our friend Grover had been drifting farther and farther away. The Council of Cloven Elders treated him like an outcast, but Grover still traveled all over the East Coast, trying to spread the word that, about Pan and convince nature spirits to protect their own little bits of the wild. He'd only come back to camp a few times to see his girlfriend, Juniper. Last I'd heard, he was in Central Park or organizing the Dryads, but nobody has seen or heard from him in two months. We tried to send Iris messages. They never got through. I had an empathy link with Grover, so I hoped I would know if anything bad happened to him. Grover had told me one time that if he died, the empathy link might kill me too. But I wasn't sure if that was still true or not. I wondered if he was still in Manhattan. Then I thought about my dream of Rachel's sketch. Dark clouds closing on the city. An army gathered around the Empire State Building. Annabeth. I stopped her by the tetherball tetherball court. I knew I was asking for trouble, but I didn't know who else to trust. Plus, I'd always depended on Annabeth for advice. Listen, I had this dream about, um, Rachel. I told her the whole thing, even the weird picture of Luke as a child. For a while, she didn't say anything. Then she rolled up her inspection scroll so tight, she ripped it. What do you want me to say? I'm not sure. You're the best strategist I know. If you were Kronos planning this war, what would you do next? I'd use Typhon as a distraction. Then I hit Olympus directly while the gods were in the west. Just like in Rachel's picture. Percy. She said, her voice tight. Rachel is just a mortal. But what if her dream is true? Those other titans, they said Olympus would be destroyed in a matter of days. They said they had plenty of other challenges. And what's with that picture of Luke as a kid? We'll just have to be ready. How? I said, look at our camp. We can't even stop fighting each other. And I'm supposed to get my stupid soul reaped. She threw down her scroll. I knew we shouldn't have shown you the prophecy. Her voice was angry and hurt. All it did was scare you. You run away from things when you're scared. I stared at her, completely stunned. Me? Run away? She got right in my face. Yes, you. You're a coward, Percy Jackson. We were nose to nose. Her eyes were red, and I suddenly realized that when she called me a coward, maybe she wasn't talking about the prophecy. If you don't like her chances, she said, maybe you should go on that vacation with Rachel. Annabeth. If you don't like her company... That's not fair! She pushed past me and stormed toward the strawberry fields. She hit the tetherball as she passed and sent it spinning angrily around the people. I'd like to say my day got better from there. Of course it didn't. That afternoon, we had an assembly at the campfire to burn Beckendorf's burial shroud and say our goodbyes. Even the Ares and Apollo cabins called a temporary truce to attend. Beckendorf's shroud was made out of metal links, like chainmail. I didn't see how it would burn, but the fates must have been helping out. The metal, metal melted in the fire and turned to golden smoke, which rose into the sky. The campfire flames always re- reflected the campers' moods, and today they burned black. I heard Beckendorf's spirit would end up in Elysium. Maybe he'd even choose to be reborn and try for Elysium in three different lifetimes so he could reach the Isles of the Blessed, which was like the Underworld's ultimate party headquarters. If anyone deserved it, Beckendorf did. Abbott left without a word to me. Most of the other campers drifted off to their afternoon activities. I just stood there, staring at the dying fire. Selena sat nearby crying while Clarice and her boyfriend, Chris Rodriguez, tried to comfort her. Finally, I got up the nerve to walk over. Hey, Selena, I'm really sorry. She sniffled. Clarice glared at me, but she always glares at everyone. Chris would barely look at me. He'd been one of Luke's men until Clarice rescued him from the labyrinth last summer, and I guess he still felt guilty about it. 
I cleared my throat. Selena, you know Beckendorf carried your picture. He looked at it right before we, before we went into battle. You meant a lot to him. You made the last year the best of his life. Selena sobbed. Good work, Percy, Clar- Clarice muttered. No, it's it's all right, Selena said. Thank, thank you, Percy. I-, I should go. You want company? Clarice asked. Selena shook her head and ran off. She's stronger than she looks, Clarice muttered almost to herself. She'll survive. You could help with that, I suggested. You could honor Beckendorf's memory by fighting with us. Clarice went for a knife, but it wasn't there anymore. She'd thrown it on the ping pong table in the big house. Not my problem, she growled. My cabin doesn't get honor. I don't fight. I noticed she wasn't speaking in rhymes. Maybe she hadn't been around when her cabin mates got cursed. Or maybe she had a way of breaking the spell. With a chill, I wondered if Clarice could be Cronus's spy at camp. Was that why she was keeping her cabin out of the fight? But as much as I disliked Clarice, spying for the Titans didn't seem like her style. All right, I told her. I didn't want to bring this up, but you owe me one. You'd be rotting in a Cyclops cave in the Sea of Monsters if it wasn't for me. She clenched her jaw. Any favor, per- any other favor, Percy, not this. The Ares cabin has been dissed too many times. Don't think I don't know what people say about me behind my back. I wanted to say, well, it's true, but I bit my tongue. So what? You're just going to let Kronos crush us? I asked. If you wanted my help so bad, tell Apollo to give us the chariot. You're such a big baby. She charged me, but Chris got between us. Whoa, guys, he said. Clarice, you know, maybe he's got a point. She sneered at him. Not you too. She trudged off with Chris at her heels. Hey, wait, I just been... Clarice, wait! I watched the last sparks from Beckendorf's fire curl into the afternoon sky, and I headed toward the sword fighting arena. I needed a break, and I wanted to see an old friend. And that is the end of chapter four. Man, that was a pretty sad chapter, and especially how Annabeth is now mad and possibly jealous of Percy because of Rachel. And yeah, but... I just hope Annabeth and Percy can make it up. And I do really do hope. I feel, I really do hope that Beckendorf is actually alive and not dead. Because that would make Selena so much better. And we do need a Beckendorf because, you know, he's a really great asset to the team. And he's a really good, like, he's a strong person to, he's a, he's a strong asset to the team. And I feel that the camp needs him. And I feel that he is alive because, you know, he's, he, he seems to be pretty clever. So... Let's just hope he's alive, and I hope that Annabeth and Percy make up before the huge attack. And I hope that the Ares cabin and Clarice gives in and comes in and contributes to fighting against the Titan that will uh, arrive in New York in probably less than four days now. So let's see what happens next week when we read chapters five through six. And until then, stay safe and stay out of boredom.